Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So when we started putting together these services, I realized that it would be interesting today because tonight we're looking at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, famous Christmas, Christmas Eve verses, maybe the most famous or among top 10, top 5 famous verses about Christmas, you know, to, to, unto us a child is born, a son is given, you know, that, that whole thing, that's tonight, 6 and 7. And everyone likes these seven verses because the, the early verses talk about the people who lived in darkness Thick darkness, it said the, the chapter before. Now they see a great light. And then you have these middle verses, which we kind of pass through, and some of them we want to get through in a hurry. And those middle verses, especially the two worst of those, that's what we're looking at this morning. <laughs> Isaiah 9, 4 and 5, the, the ugly verses. And you don't get to 6 and 7 any other way. you got to go through these verses and know what they mean and uh, appreciate just how powerful and complete this blessing of this birth of this one baby is. Pray with me. Father, help us now as we look into Scripture and understand its context, understand what it means to be changed to be transformed. Help us to, to use what you're giving us in the Bible to pay closer attention to you in these hours, in these days set aside for the celebration of your birth. Thank you, Jesus. Change us. Bring glory to yourself through the change. In your name we pray. Amen. So Christmas is a time of special decorations. We have the best, I think. Just amazing. We, we even had a picture night. Anybody here for the picture night? Some of you came and got pictures. Some of the adults who, it's fine when the kids sit on the horse, right? But a lot of you adults, you wanted a picture of yourself on the horse as well or in the buggy, and that Wednesday night was set aside for you so you could do that, right? So we love the decorations. We love the, the songs, the special songs. I think when I was younger, I, I had a kind of a snarky view of some of the songs. But now I, I think I just like them all, you know. And they all can wear, there's one couple in particular that you hear over and over again. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say the name. Because if I say the name of the song, that's it. For the rest of the morning, that's going through your head. It probably already is going through your head, but I, I'm trying to get around that, so I'm not going to stoke that. But we have these songs we like. We like the decorations, the foods, Christmas foods. I used to schedule my physical, like, for the early part of January, and I don't do that anymore because that doesn't work. That's not, you know. Uh, yeah, my doctor's not pleased with me. It wasn't because... We like these foods, and uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Christmas foods and that, that we eat and enjoy. And, I mean, so you got the decorations, you got the foods, you got the songs. 
and the stories. In, in the form of books, yeah, not all of us read books. Less of us read books. A lot of us get our stories from movies. And there's classic movies, right? Classic Christmas movies. It's a Wonderful Life, right? Some of you have already watched it 20 times. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. A Miracle on 34th Street, right? I remember growing up watching that. So along with the classic Christmas films, you have the 10,000 Hallmark Christmas romance films that are out there. That's just the new ones for this year. Anybody watch those things? They're, they're, well, you got, the thing is, there's so many of them that if you're going to decide to watch one of them, and they're usually pretty clean and pretty nice, right? But you got to check them out, and you can find out within the first 30 seconds or first three minutes of one of those movies if it's going to be worth watching. And I, when Shannon and I want to watch something like that, we go through about five or six of them before we land on one that's going to be tolerable. And then we're doing something else while we watch, because that's not something where you just watch it. Because, no, the, the, no, it's, it's so predictable, and, you know, it's just, it's part of the background, and it's, it's enjoyable in that way. But the, the first couple of films, went, I, there was one that came out, and it, it started with this, this young man and a couple of his friends, females, and they had been partying all night, and they were discovered, and they're all dressed, they look nice, they're discovered on a golf course, having slept overnight on the golf course because they partied so hard, and it's 11 in the morning. And they get up, and they have this, you know, pithy dialogue between the golf course caretaker and themselves, and they drive off, and, you know, on to the next movie. Because that, what are you talking about? So if somebody was drunk, so drunk that they slept on a golf course until 11 a.m., they're getting up, they got to use the bathroom right away or throw up or both. And, you know, you're not going to have a dialogue. They're not going to, you know, hurry off to some other event, like, you know, on to the next movie. You got to have the plausible plot, right? And you always have that with the classics with the romance ones, and it's not Hallmark. Hallmark started it, and then it's every other provider of video entertainment now makes these Christmas romance movies. And so those are, those are big, but there's a new trend, another holiday-themed, holiday-timed trend, and that trend has to do with holiday-themed or holiday-timed horror movies. Yes. Real title, It's a Wonderful Knife. Another real title, Nightmare on 34th Street. I like this one. Ready? A creature was stirring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right? How about the mean one? An obvious twist on The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. All real horror films. I'm not recommending them. They're just actual titles that are out there. And some have innocent titles, but they're horror movies. Silent Night. Uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Real movie, yeah. And other holidays, not just Halloween, they have their horror films too, like the one that was just in the theaters, Thanksgiving, with the subtitle, There Will Be No Leftovers. Right? And you have other ones, there's Violent Night, Thanksgiving, and you have some that are not so, you know, they, they, they're easier to imagine, like Black Friday, 
That's the title of the film, and here's the description. A group of disgruntled toy store employees face a horde of parasite-infected shoppers on Black Friday. So some of us, uh, we, we, we might not need to see the movie. We've, we've lived it, you know, maybe. But all kidding aside, what can be fascinating about all this, this holiday horror trend, is not how far-fetched it is, but how close to the mark it is. Now, to watch horror films for Christmas may be silly or inappropriate, but real horror is central to the story and the background of the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ was born to bring an end to real horror, to cause his people who walked in thick darkness to now walk in light. And Isaiah 9 4 through 5, uh, they give us a glimpse, not of any mere Hollywood horror, but real horror that visited the Holy Land and God's people starting back in 434, 432 B.C. And this horror was called the Assyrians. And many of the bloody, gory things that you might see portrayed in a horror film today are a lot like what we're told the Assyrian army did to people that they conquered. And so I, I found one article, and it had some pictures of tablets or reliefs that have been found. And they portray what the Assyrians were proud of. These were found in Assyrian imperial palaces. And the title of the article is The Assyrians, The Appalling Lords of Torture by a man named Peter Prescar, who describes himself as a history junkie. And the subtitle is Impalement, Flaying, and Amputations Were the Trademark of the Assyrians. And the article goes on to describe how they had this enormous empire. They mastered the art of war, but also they mastered torture techniques. And they bragged about it. They advertised it. They would gorge out eyes, cut off limbs, and leave people walking around this way to advertise their brutality, to remind people of who they were. It was intentional, intentional psychological warfare on their part. And they loved mass executions. They loved to impale their victims on large stakes. And that's the larger relief you see there. And it's an unusual form of impalement because uh, it's through the ribs. And it involves a slower death. And this was a favorite uh, form of killing or murdering on the part of Assyrians. But they invented other forms, including crucifixion. Crucifixion. It was the Assyrians, the Babylonians too. They started, and then the Persians in 6th century B.C., they started using that regularly. So think about that. Here we are in Isaiah 9, and we're hearing about thick darkness, and it's not an abstraction. At the end of chapter 8, when it talks about people being in thick darkness, it meant the Assyrians. It didn't mean that they were going through a tough time. You know, it's been a really dark time for me, but then I thought positively, and it got better. Nothing like that at all. The, the dark times, the thick darkness, involved impalement or flaying. They would strip skin off of live victims and then post that skin on the walls of, of, the, of the palace or castle they were overthrowing. They would behead victims and make pyramids of their heads or decorate trees with the heads of their victims. Imagine that. 
They burned children alive. They loved doing these things. In fact, they were so famous for this, really throughout human history, that others took notice. One individual named Vlad Tepes, a.k.a. Count Dracula, the real guy, he used the Assyrian technique for impalement on thousands of Ottomans, Turks, in other words. And, you know, you, you read throughout the history of, of the Assyrians, and, it, I mean, it just gets worse and worse. They, they would cut off legs, arms, noses, tongues, ears, and other body parts. They would gouge out the eyes of prisoners. They used brutality as a weapon. So this is, the, this is the thing to realize when we're reading these prophecies, when we're hearing the story of Jesus' birth. None of it's mystical. None of it's imaginary. None of it's, you know, something that exists in the, in the realm of thought. It was, it was real darkness, real brutality, real violence, and into this was born a real baby. And this baby would be the thing that would make the difference. And you see here, you see the flailing described there on the upper right-hand corner, and then in the middle, they're, they're being made to grind the bones of ancestors. So that's something they did to... Uh, eliminate the claim that people would have on their land. They would make them dig up their, their dead answers and grind the bones. And, and then you see a pile of heads at the, at the foot of an Assyrian warrior. And so this is, this is what the Bible's talking about. And it, and it makes it so different when we go through these verses. Let's just go through them now with this in mind. Now you have some context. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, See, that, now, it's, now it means something, doesn't it? And it's not the kind of anguish that we would describe as anguish. In fact, we feel particularly cozy and comfortable and just uh, spoiled when we think of this. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Remember, those were the northernmost regions of Israel, so they got hit first by Assyria coming from the north. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So this is remarkable. How can it be we're overrun by these monsters? Life everywhere is a real-life horror film. And yet, into this, the prophecy speaks, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. What? It's just out, out of nowhere, it seems, out of the blue, out of the mysterious, always eternally mysterious, by the way, mind of God. How could he do this? But he does. He's going to shine light into this. He's going to make a difference. And more than that, there's going to be joy. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. He's going to turn the whole thing around. And, and what's this whole thing? Well, we're reminded in the next verses, the ones we're focusing on this morning, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, 
A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How welcome this news had to be, amen? amen. I mean, now you know, like, wait a minute. It wasn't just that they were in a bad place and God needed to come and just shine some light on them to help them feel better or be better. No, they were being ripped to pieces literally, by the darkness. And the darkness was embodied in the Assyrian army. And the, the symbolism, uh, it, it just includes the whole Bible here. And that's what we see in these verses that we're looking at today. Nobody's favorite verses, if you looked at these seven verses, nobody would pick four and five. as Well, I really, that's a memory verse for me. Nobody would, but let's just look at what they say. Starting with verse 4, you have this symbolism, yoke and staff, that is reminiscent of God's people in Egypt. And that was the big redemption thing in the Old Testament. What God did with his people getting them out of Egypt and then the parting of the Red Sea. It's symbolic of all God's miracles. It's what he does. He makes a way where there is no way. And so this is what he did for Egypt, and this is what he did for others being referenced here. It's a curious reference. The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his pressure, broken when? As on the day of Midian. That, that's what it's like. Oh, that's a very specific picture. The Midianites were fierce, and this goes back to the book of Judges, Chapter 7 in the book of Judges, and one of the judges, whose name was Gideon, and he had this mighty army, but not as mighty as the Midianites, and he needed help, and he asked God for help, and how did God say he was going to help? I'm going to cut the size of your army. And he did this army reduction plan and got the army down to 300 soldiers. And Gideon, with 300 soldiers, conquered, obliterated, the exponentially larger Midianite forces. That's, that's what's being referenced here. Isaiah's looking back as he looks forward to say, it's going to be like that. Here's what's going to happen, except it won't even be 300 soldiers. It'll just be one baby. One baby. Can you imagine that? The Assyrian army, they literally consume people. They literally eat. I mean, they just rip people apart. So they're on one side, the entire thing, this massive, this horde of killers. There they are. And who do they face? One helpless, apparently, appearing so anyway, helpless infant in a cradle. Can you imagine the Assyrians thinking, well, <laughs> I think we got this one. I think we're good. And the prophet says, no, those Assyrians are toast. You know, it turns out they didn't even last that many decades. By 701 B.C., they were done. 
We're talking about 30, 40 years. And, and they, they were done. They were so brutal, so evil. They, they've, they self-consumed in a sense. And, and it was it's really easy for opponents to say, let's just, let's just take care of these people. Let's just, let's just not, we can't permit them to exist anymore. And, and that's what happened. And this, the Assyrian uh, army was gone in a matter of decades. And, uh, and that was just being used by Isaiah as an illustration of what would happen with Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't going to take on the Assyrian army, much worse than that, the entire realm of evil. I mean, evil itself. And, it, you know, it, you see that Assyrian army with that baby, and they think we're having a good day. It's not going to be tough. Well, it was the same on Good Friday. Satan thought, well, it couldn't work out any better for me. Look at this. And we're making a fool. We're humiliating. Like, we, we, we couldn't even imagine how humiliating it is. And there we are, humiliating the Son of God outside the walls of Jerusalem using one of these Assyrian execution techniques that I have perfected through my human agents over the centuries. And now I get to use this on him. What a good day it is. Well, it was good for us. Not for him. Didn't work out at all for him. Evil was completely overthrown. And through his death, he conquered death itself on the cross. And he was born to do so. And so the people walking in darkness, they see a great light. And according to Isaiah, it's not the only thing they see. They see what's left over from all these days of war and horror. They see it strewn all around them and piled up and going up in flames. And that's, the, that's this verse here. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And so we celebrate the fact that real evil, real horror, war itself is overthrown here. In fact, earlier in Isaiah, I'll just read these verses to you. They're from chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. This, this overthrow is predicted by Isaiah, and he's getting into the details in Isaiah 9. It's very detailed. This is who Jesus is. But what's he going to do? Let's go back to Isaiah 2. Listen to this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. That's the promise. That's how big it is. When we think about the real context of Isaiah 9, it's horrifying. That's definitely not showing up in any of our feel-good Christmas movies. And we're maybe trying to escape it through the, the horror movies even, because that's not real horror. You know, we kind of like horror on our own terms. That's why we create forms of entertainment 
uh, using horror so we can kind of make ourselves less frightened because the truth is we're all so terribly frightened all the time. And yet the one who can conquer the things we fear most has been born. And, and there's nothing that he can't change, that he can't handle. And we see that happening. We see what he does in the minds of men and women, the minds of people, what he does in communities, how he does change, how he is about that, how he wants that to happen. And he wants us to be agents of that in our world, agents of his peace, his message, his gospel, the end of all war, death, destruction, and horror. Amen? Amen. You definitely want to applaud that. You don't want to be like, no, I like war. No, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. You think you do. Again, no. It, it's, it's good. It's so good. And it isn't just huge. It isn't just something writ large over the cosmos, you know, that God's going to do this amazing thing and we can hardly even imagine it. He's going to do the same thing in our lives because we're at war. We're warlike in our relationships, you know, gaining ground, losing ground, having our way, getting our way, winning an argument. These things are valuable to us, far too valuable than they ought to be. He changes our hearts. He shines light into the dark places within us. Amen? And that's... All that was born as well when Christ was born. All that started when he started here officially on earth. And, and that's, that's what we celebrate. He, he, he fought and he won a war that only he could fight and win. And he didn't do it by killing anybody. He did it by dying himself as the once for all, one and done sacrifice for all our sins. And by rising from the dead as our one true Savior forever. Amen? That brings us to the table. Having read Isaiah 2, 2 through 4, seeing what he wants to do in our lives, all that brings harm, all that destroys all that ruins, he, he took on himself. And this is what we remember. And it, 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 it's kind of clean up here. I mean, this is a white cloth. And, and unless I spill this grape juice, which has happened before, it won't happen now, although I just said that, so now you're all worried. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to stay clean and look pretty ni nice and neat and tidy. But what it represents was not that at all. And, and thank God for it. He went through the, the worst of the worst and took it on himself. And this was a gift of the Father. His gift as well, but the Father sent him. Thank you, Father. In many ways, what we celebrate um, these days, it goes back to you. You gave. You sent all that you could give, all that you could send, the best that you had your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was born for this. We remember his birth, and the only way we can honor that is by remembering his death. 
So set apart these elements as the men begin to pass them out. Uh, help us now prayerfully reflect on what they mean for us personally. And help us understand how we are uh, partaking of this sacrament. It is together. Uh, to be saved is to be brought into community. To be redeemed is to be uh, renewed in terms of relationships with you and with each other. And so help us now. There's parents here who need help discerning whether or not their child partakes. It's important that all who partake uh, understand and believe. Just help us to, to, to make the right decisions uh, about that, Lord. Help us to think about our own faith. Uh, there'll be some here who, who, who won't partake, and they'll have their reasons, and those reasons might be located in Scripture, Lord. And would you bless those who are wrestling with something as you're leading them through that. Uh, we support them so much, Lord. Bless them in that. But Lord, this is not about how good we are, uh, what a good year 2023 was for us, uh, how well we have performed as Christians. Uh, none of that, thank God, <laughs> factors into the equation here. This is about remembering what you did. You said, do this in remembrance of me. You said that, Lord Jesus. That's what we want to do here and now. I want to do this in remembrance of you. Thank you for bringing joy, peace, hope, and love into our lives. Thank you for uh, facing and addressing real horror, the full extent of it. Thank you for setting an end to all that. You, you stamped an expiration date on all of this, and you use your own body to do that. Thank you, Jesus. We do this in remembrance of you, again, to restate it for our own sakes. We do this to worship you in spirit and in truth. We do this on this day that we celebrate your birth. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.